0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel.
1: The reading this evening comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Is greater than he who is in the world they are from the world therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them we are from God whoever knows God listens to us whoever is not from God does not listen to us by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error this is the word of the Lord
0: pray our father we do pray now that you would reveal truth to us that you would reveal by your spirit, the person and the work of Jesus even more clearly in your word and in our hearts. And we pray that we might discern what is right and good by the help of your spirit. By grace, we will trust in your promises. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. What a joy to be with you every Lord's Day. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'd love to meet you. If I haven't, after the service, just come and say hi. I'd love to get to know you and maybe schedule a time for coffee or lunch sometime soon. Um, Well, if you, did you know this, that if you are sick or poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. Uh, If you have faith, God will bless you financially. Did you also know that uh, Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God? Jesus was a prophet, very similar to Moses or David. Jesus isn't really God. He's, He's more of a created being, more like an angel. Jesus is God's physical son even. In fact, we are all God's physical sons and daughters. Jesus was just the first, so he is therefore the firstborn of God. God just wants us to be happy. That's what he has created us for, to just enjoy life and to be happy. God would never make me like this unless he wanted me to be happy like this. Did you also know that America is God's chosen nation? If we as Americans would just repent, then he would again bless us. Hell doesn't exist. And if it does, a loving God would not send people to hell. In the end, God is love and everyone goes to heaven. All religions are, in fact, just the same. They're just different paths of the same mountain. At the top, we all will find God there. That's just your interpretation. That's just your truth. God doesn't exist at all. Uh, As I was reading these things, it just occurred to me that you all could do some real blackmail for me, if you were like recording uh, many of these statements that I just made, but here's the thing: uh, if welcome to Christchurch, if you've never been, uh, hopefully the Athanasian Creed uh, from just a few minutes ago uh, hinted that I don't believe all those things that I've just said, and yet every single thing that I just said, I have heard personally from people in my life, friends in my life, even not just like things on TV, but like over coffee and in conversation. If you have not heard one of those statements or like the the family that one of those statements belongs to, uh, you will. You absolutely will. So, who's to say who's right or wrong? How can we know if everything that I just said is true or not true? If something can even be true or false, right or wrong in the first place? How do we figure out what is right or wrong? Well, last week in 1 John 3, Kyle really helpfully showed us that the gospel of Jesus brings reconciled relationships of love and deep assurance within his people. These are the effects, or these are the outcomes of right belief in Jesus. Well, this week, John is going to turn his attention, and we're now going to see how John wants to make sure that we not only have right belief in Jesus, but we actually have right belief about Jesus— John is going to tell us that it is not only possible to believe rightly and wrongly, but believing rightly and wrongly is actually a matter of life and death. An extremely important issue. Evidently, there were some false teachers in Ephesus or wherever the the church is that John is writing to. We've already seen John make mention or allude to these false teachers. Uh, Many, many times they were denying the bodily nature of Jesus, that he was perhaps just a God or a spirit. So John reiterated in chapter 1 that he and we, the apostles, had actually seen and touched Jesus, he said. Actually touched his physical body. These teachers were also teaching that when you received the Holy Spirit, you would just stop sinning altogether. If you were still sinning, then you had not received the Spirit. So John reiterated also in chapter 1 that we are never fully, completely without sin. If we say we are, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He explained how these false teachers or false prophets went out from Ephesus or went out from amongst them. So he said in chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Or if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And so while these false teachers could undeniably, they could have wreaked some considerable havoc in the Ephesian church, which apparently they did and they were doing, compared to our day though, their influence was actually quite small. They could destroy the church in Ephesus and then just move on, perhaps doing the same in another town. They could perhaps get into the Corinthian church and sow some disunity there. But in the first century, the overwhelming majority of the people that you would interact with in your entire life uh, most likely lived within five to ten miles of you, most probably probably from your hometown until just about the last 150 years or so of human history. You likely would have known your future husband or wife by the time you were five or six. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now, we can't even imagine that kind of reality now, but the world was quite small, if you know what I mean. But think about the impact that a false teacher can and does the kind of influence that he has today. Like every single Sunday, you can turn on the TV and hear false teaching from a preacher in Texas or in North Carolina or wherever. You can just open any social media feed and see a quote or perhaps a four- to five-minute clip of a sermon from a pastor in London or from some other part of the world. You could read a blog post or a book by a false teacher in South America or in Africa. Having access to so much information is of enormous benefit to us today. Like, I have so much more access to commentaries, to sermons, to blogs, to podcasts, to Uh, books that any pastor would have dreamed of a hundred years ago it's incredible but that kind of access to that kind of information can also be so dangerous listen to this a few years ago the ceo of google said that we produce more information every two days than all of human history up until the year 2013. Meaning everything that was ever written or recorded until the year 2000—I'm sorry, 2003, because that was when a huge shift happened in the internet, 2003. Everything that was ever written down or recorded until 2003, we produced that amount of content as as humans every two days. In fact, that probably needs an update. Maybe it's less than two days now. And so if John is urging the Ephesian church to have and to seek after discernment in their lives, the ability to determine what is right and wrong, then we certainly need discernment today, more than ever. So what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4 is, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is saying, make no doubt about it. There are spiritual teachers. There are spiritual teachings. Teachings that are even influenced by the spiritual world, the spirits. They are not from God. This kind of spiritual teaching exists, and it is not from God. They claim to be God, from God. They might even claim to be prophets speaking on God's behalf. If that's the case, then test what they are saying. He's maybe implying, like, I've been been hearing things... Brothers and sisters, ever since I've left Ephesus, I've been hearing things. I even heard that in one of the buildings in which you meet and think about the Bible that gullible is written on the ceiling. Don't do that! Did anyone look? Uh, Don't be that way, O Ephesians. Don't be so gullible. Don't just hear something and believe it, but process it think through it, digest it, test to see if these teachers are from God or from Satan. Don't believe everything you hear. So it's really interesting that in 1 John chapter 3 verse 23, he can say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then 2 verses later, he can say but don't believe everything you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him, but don't believe everything. So how does John counsel the Ephesians and us to discern whether or not someone is a false prophet or a false teacher? By two tests he's going to give. His hearers and his readers, two tests to understand or to test whether or not a teaching or a belief is right or wrong. And these will be the two tests that we'll think through today. We should test what a teacher teaches about who Jesus is that is, who is Jesus and they, we should also test what they teach about what the Bible is. What is the Bible? Who is Jesus and what is the Bible? So we'll use these next few verses of this short section to do just that. And so in verse two, after he says to test the spirits, he now says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So how is it that we determine if a teaching is from the Spirit of God or a spirit that is against or anti of God or anti Christ, well, if that spirit or if that teaching confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. Now, at first, this sounds like a really low bar. Like all that a teacher has to teach is that Jesus has a body and then we can know that that teacher is from God. Now, regardless of anything else he might teach, as long as he affirms that Jesus came in a body, then he's trustworthy. All I have to do is confess that Jesus actually had skin and bones and I can be saved. Is this right? Well, no. Now before we get into what John means by this, a quick side note, uh, a common teaching that you'll hear today maybe a little less so than maybe 10 years ago or so, like when the Da Vinci Code was really popular. But something that you might still hear in a Religion 101 classroom or something is that Jesus was an influential teacher and then several centuries later, his legend had grown into making him some sort of godlike deity. So you'll even find a book titled How Jesus Became God. He was just a man, but then over, this, over time and over centuries, he, his legend grew into becoming God. And so what we worship today is not much different than if we were modern-day Greeks still worshiping some Hercules, son of a God myth. We are so mistaken. How could we be so gullible to worship something like that? But you know what the problem is with that kind of teaching? Is that it's just not historically accurate at all just a couple of decades after Jesus's death and resurrection, the Gospel writers, Paul, the author of Hebrews, and here John are all very much affirming the deity of Jesus. In fact, for the first few centuries, the debates were not, is Jesus really God? But the debates were, was Jesus really human? Because everything that was seen and heard by so many eyewitnesses might indicate that this extraordinarily divine figure might not actually have been a human being. And so this is what John is confronting here in these false teachers. John is saying, yes, he was and he is God, the second person of the Trinity. His sacrifice for us could not be applied to the entire world for all time in history if he were not God. But he also must be fully man. If he were not like us, tempted in every way, yet fully obedient to God, then he would not be our high priest, representing us as humans. So John seems to be saying, how do you know if someone is a false teacher? Someone is a false teacher if he teaches something about an incomplete Jesus. If he represents an incomplete Christ. If he doesn't represent the whole Christ. This is a phrase that we used this evening in the Athanasian Creed. He's fully God and he is fully man. He is not divided in his nature, but he is the whole Christ. If a teacher misrepresents who Jesus was and is, then he is not to be trusted. Because here's the thing. The most important question in the history of the universe that any human being can ever answer is who is Jesus of Nazareth? This is the most important question that you must answer. This is the most important question that any human who has ever lived must reckon with and must answer. Who is or was Jesus of Nazareth? Was he who the gospel writers say he was? If not, just go live your life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Maybe you could find some sort of psychological comfort in another world religion. There's many folks who are doing good sociology work today to show the the value of religion on humanity. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it is overwhelmingly likely that everything that you see in the world is all there is. That's all there is. It is just matter. It is just a material world. It's just a bunch of cause and effects relationships with no God. But if Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, then some things must necessarily be true. That there is a God because the miraculous happened. Jesus is who he says he was. He was the promised Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is God himself. If we truly understand who this God-man is, then we would understand that he doesn't need us to just merely confess something about him with our mouths. He doesn't, get this, Jesus does not invite us to trust and believe him. As if he's saying, please, please believe in me, like, I promise I'll make your life better if you'll just believe in me. This is not Jesus. Jesus. He does invite us to himself, but he also commands us, every human being, he commands you to worship him as your king, to give him your allegiance and your loyalty. If we truly understand who he is, we will either turn and run in terror for the rest of our lives, or we will fall on our faces and worship him. There should be no such thing as indifference to Jesus. There should be no such thing as a casual relationship with Jesus as your homeboy. Yes, if if you trust him, he is your savior, he is your brother, he is your friend, but he is also God. The very one who spoke the entire world into existence spoke it with a word. This Jesus is not just your buddy that you go play video games with. This person is so great, so beautiful, so glorious. What did we find out in 1 John 3? What happens when we finally see him as he is? Do you remember? When we see Jesus as he is, we will not sin anymore, like ever again, for eternity. He will be so much more satisfying than our even desire to sin. This Jesus, if you understood who he really was, you would not go days without thinking about him. You would not go hours without trusting and believing in his work for you and the implications of that. You would not go minutes without thanking him and loving him, the preacher says. And yet we go minutes. We go hours of indifference, of a lack of acknowledgement without a lack of or with a lack of love, without a lack of worship in our hearts. Because we do not see him. The things that we do see so compellingly grab our hearts and we forget. Sometimes indifferently, sometimes very actively. But this Jesus is a whole Christ. The whole Christ. Very God of very God. Light of light. And John says someone is from God if he confesses this kind of complete Jesus, if he confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. And it's not just that we confess with our mouths some intellectual or theological truth about Jesus. Remember, maybe the scariest verse in the whole Bible, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, that many on that day will say of me, Lord, Lord, but I will say, declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. A simple verbal confession that is empty of the accompanying faith in who Jesus really is and what he has come to accomplish in your life of an utter and entire transformation is not sufficient. But a confession that says, Jesus, you are the God man that have lived the life that I should have lived, that died the death that I should have died, that you are the one who is able to. Forgive my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. You were not only able to free me from the penalty of the sin but of sin, but from the power of sin in my life. That kind of confession that comes to him ongoingly and by faith grasping, holding tightly. What does an authentic confession like that do? Well, everything that we've considered in 1 John 1 through 3: the producing of good spiritual fruit, a putting to death of bad fruit of love for God, of love for each other. Do you remember what John said the message was that Jesus taught in 1 John 1.5? What is the message that he taught from the very beginning? That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John is saying that our problem with our sin is a problem with our vision. We do not see God clearly. We do not see Christ the King clearly. We do not see our sin clearly. John is urging his readers, John is urging you to not believe in the teaching of a misrepresented incomplete Jesus, but behold him clearly. The entire universe hinges upon a complete Jesus. The creator of the universe, the promised redeemer of the world, the son of man, the son of God, the lamb of God, the king of the universe who is alive now and sitting at the right hand of the father. Take any one of those things away and you have an incomplete Jesus. You have a Jesus who is not able to accomplish what he says he has come to accomplish. Believing in an incomplete Jesus will leave you remaining in your sins and separated from God. So listen very carefully to John, listen very carefully, picking and choosing what you want to believe about Jesus is damning. Like in the very literal sense of the word, being sent to hell, a wrong belief about Jesus. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you believe in a complete Jesus you have a complete salvation. If you believe in an incomplete Jesus you have an incomplete salvation. So the first test to determine if a teaching is from God is to test what is being taught about Jesus. This is a good test, not only for who you are influenced by and who, are you, who you are scrolling through on your social media feeds or the books that you read, the sermons that you watch or listen to. This is a good test for you personally, though, as well. Right now, what do you believe personally about who Jesus is? And that takes some work, that takes some introspection. That takes some good conversation about who you believe Jesus is. Remember, the most important question that you can ever ask of yourself is, who is Jesus of Nazareth? That takes decades to work out. But it's also really helpful, perhaps as a test of good teaching, right teaching, or false teaching. If you ever move away from Albuquerque, you're trying to find a new church or something like that, what is being taught about Jesus? The second test, though, to determine if a teaching is from God or not is what is being taught about the Bible. Secondly, what is the Bible? John says in verse 6, we, the apostles, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, at first, this seems pretty arrogant and maybe even a little paranoid like, you must believe everything that I say, and if you believe anything that is contrary to what I say, that is wrong. This actually sounds pretty similar to what old Vlad Putin is saying right now and demanding of Russians these days. You have to believe everything that I say, and anything that is contrary to what I say is wrong. But do you want to know why John would say something like this? Is he, not, is he, is he just paranoid? No. No. Is he just trying to keep a chokehold on what people believe so that he can remain in control and denounce anyone else? No. I think the answer to why he might say something like this comes from the very first three verses of this letter in 1 John 1. Starting from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and it was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ i think what john is doing in chapter 4 is not like a paranoid chokehold on his message but it is a pleading A pleading because he, because he's saying, I, we, the apostles, were with him. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We sat under his teaching for three years, and then he commissioned us. He delegated authority to us and sent us out as his apostles. We not only have unique authority given to us by Jesus, but we know him better than you do. That's not an arrogant statement. It's just reality. He was with us. The Lord Jesus, for three years, seeing him, teaching him, sitting under him, we know him better than anyone else who is claiming to know him but never met him. And so if someone or something is contrary to our teaching, it is contrary to Jesus' teaching. And so perhaps you'll hear someone today I think you would have heard it here in these first few decades after the resurrection of Jesus, but you'll hear someone today say something like, you know what, I don't really follow the Bible, I just follow Jesus. Maybe you hear of those who call themselves today red-letter Christians. That is, they, they follow and believe in the red letters, the words of Jesus, because those are the real and trustworthy words of the Bible. But everything else, well, it's a little, I mean, it was... Of its time it's a little violent it doesn't really reveal god as he really is but jesus the red letters of his those are the trustworthy ones the problem with all of that is is you want to know how we know about jesus like all the black letters that surround the red ones you want to know how we know who jesus is the, the person that like walked on the stage, the stage being set behind him in all of the books coming before him, our only access to Jesus's life and ministry is through the teaching and accounts of the New Testament. And any attempt to follow a non-fully-orbed Jesus that is not portrayed in the Gospels is just a made-up Jesus. It's an attempt to make up the parts that you like and then discard the parts that you don't like. It's placing yourself over the Bible as its authority to believe what you want rather than placing yourself under the Bible as your authority to believe what you must. And John is saying that that kind of move is deadly. Just as picking and choosing what you want to believe about Jesus is damning, picking and choosing what you want to believe about the Bible can be equally damning. Jesus himself, in the red letters, affirms the fullness of the scriptures as God's unbroken and authoritative word. He condemns the Pharisees in Matthew 22 because they do not, one, neither know the power of God, but two, they do not know the scriptures. What are the scriptures that he's talking about? The Old Testament. Famously, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. When Paul says all Scripture in a New Testament letter, what kind of Scripture is he talking about? The Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. And then Peter, one of the apostles with the same delegated authority of John here in 1 John 4, Peter in 2 Peter 3, he refers to Paul's letters— Right alongside the scriptures. Kind of funnily, he says that uh, Paul's letters are real confusing, Peter says. I know, they're real confusing. But he places them right alongside the scriptures. The God-breathed word of God. Equally trustworthy, authoritative, and inspired as the Old Testament. So we don't hold to what one scholar says, a Dalmatian theory of inspiration. The scripture is inspired just in spots picking and choosing the spots that we like or might be culturally acceptable because culture changes seemingly every day. No, we submit to the entire Bible as the authoritative word of God. We are a people of the book. Does that make you uncomfortable? Today as an enlightened Western 21st century American to call yourself a person of the book. It shouldn't. This is our life this is our rock. God has spoken to us. It is a lamp into our feet. Without this, this book, we are stumbling around in darkness. He has spoken, He has revealed Himself. I loved how Kyle even prayed it this evening that He has revealed Himself most clearly in high definition in the person of Jesus. But we do not know what the high definition picture of Jesus is unless we understand all of this. Which, by the way, this wasn't in the notes, but. Uh, after 1 John, we're gonna spend, I don't know, five or six weeks in the book of Leviticus. Are we excited? Yeah, all right. Uh, because here's the thing. You will not understand the cross of Christ unless you understand Leviticus. It's amazing. I guarantee you, after spending five or six weeks in that book, you will never love the cross of Christ more than you do after it, than after, or before spending time with that book. But we are a people of the book. And when we are those people, we get a complete picture of who God is, of who Jesus is, of who the Holy Spirit is, of who the eternal Godhead triune maker and creator of the universe is. Of all of that being true, we have a complete picture of who we are, of how we are separated from God, and how we are reconciled in love. So use this test Use this test, not only in uh, thinking through a new book that you're reading or a sermon clip that you see on your social media feed about whatever it may be. Use the first test about what is being spoken or taught about Jesus, but use the second test, what is being taught about the Bible? Is this teaching being taught submissive to the authority of the Scriptures? Is this teaching contradictory in any way to what we have found to be true in the Bible? Here's the thing, though. We also don't have a simplistic, like, plug-and-play understanding of the Scriptures. Some of this takes work. Understanding all of this is hard. It is knowable and understandable, but it is difficult to do. We must do theology. We must do interpretation in community. As we understand these things together, not just trying to get to our best understanding with just me, Jesus, and a cup of coffee. That's great. Keep doing that for the rest of your life. But let's keep doing this together, not only with each other, but with the community of believers throughout the last 2,000 years. Use this test on yourself. Am I submitting myself to the authority of the scriptures? Am I reading the Bible? Am I knowing it? Am I understanding God's word to us? Am I believing anything contradictory than what is taught in the Bible? We all do. Every day in our life, we believe things that are in contradiction to what God has spoken to us. We must know this. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, perhaps all this sounds too narrow Perhaps all this sounds too arrogant. Perhaps you do not even think it is possible to understand or discern right from wrong. Perhaps you still think that Jesus might be a good teacher, might even be the Son of God, but there are plenty of other religions in the world that are equally valid ways to reach God, that are good teachings that provide Good values for the world that provide meaning and comfort. Well, in a famous sermon, R.C. Sproul once described a universe in which an all-good, all-wise, all-powerful, and all-loving God created the world. Just imagine this universe. Perhaps you've never heard any of this. Imagine a universe in which this kind of God created the world and he created humans in this world to know him and to love him. But then these humans universally and categorically rejected him. And so Sproul says finally, God says, okay, I'm going to send to this people who reject everything I do for them, I am going to send them my only begotten son. And I'm going to take the sins of my people and transfer them to the back of my own son who is perfectly righteous and perfectly innocent. And they kill the son. And God said, that's okay. You've killed him, but if you will just put your trust in him and honor him, I will forgive you of every sin that you have ever committed against me and against him. And I will give you eternal life where there will be no more death, no more tears, no more wickedness, no more pain, no more suffering, and you will forever live in unending bliss. My only requirement is that you honor the one who has died in your place. That's the only thing. Because Buddha didn't die for you. Moses didn't die for you. Muhammad did not die for you. I only require that you embrace and honor my son. So just suppose that's true, Sproul says. You may not believe that's true, but just suppose it's true. I'm just asking you hypothetically, if it were true, would you dare stand before God on the day of judgment and say, God, you have not done enough. You have not done enough for me. Would you look into the face of God and say, one way of salvation is not enough? Here's the thing. We don't think that people who believe in Christ are any better than people who believe in something else. We're not talking about the superiority of the people. But this last concluding thought from Sproul says, but I'm sure it rankles God almighty to hear any human being even mention Jesus Christ in the same breath as Buddha. That sounds arrogant today. But if this kind of God who has created the world and who has loved the world and who has sent his son that you might have life is true, if all that is true, then I think it must be true that it rankles God Almighty to hear any human being put these two characters in the same breath, the God-man Jesus Christ, with other false teachers. Those false teachings surely provide some sort of meaning, surely provide some sort of psychological comfort, and even some good in the world. But they are not a way of salvation. Listen, we've uh, thought through some really weighty creeds, as Kyle said the last two weeks. Working out in solidifying and crystallizing who Jesus is, who the triune God is, what this Bible is for us. It took some time, but we trust the Lord how he did these things. We trust the Lord and how he has placed us under his word, under his son, that we might have joy. And So this takes some time for us as well. Lord willing, all of us in this room will have a, nice and long, 85 years or so, it won't be. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. As we sang just a few minutes ago, we must confess, and what a joy to confess, that Christ is our hope in life and death. We will not all have 85 years. We might not even have one more week in this room. What a week that God has given us to now be able to work out and understand who the Lord Jesus is, to work out and understand this book. This might be the last week you ever have to read this book. Let's use it. Let's use this week to know God, to love and serve one another, and to grow in our love for Christ and our love for one another. What a gift this week is. Let's use it. Let's pray that God would help us in that. Our Father, we do pray that you would, as you have revealed yourself to us, that you would even, by your Spirit, give us clearer sight Our sight is so short-sighted. We are so distracted. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, we want to love him. Help our unbelief. Help us to want to want Jesus as a church. Change our desires. Give us clarity. Give us love for him. Give us love for the world around us. Give us love for one another. Might you do all of these things even more, just a little bit more this week in us, your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.